All right, open up to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We're continuing our, our new series, uh, The Quest for Wisdom. And we're examining where we are meant as human beings to find instruction for life. How are we supposed to live life? Life is confusing. Life is hard. We don't know whether to go left or right sometimes. Uh, life throws us curveballs. We don't know how to handle them. Uh, God has given us his word as wise instruction for every practical reason and detail that you could possibly think of. And Proverbs encapsulates all of that, which is really beautiful. And that's what we're going to be looking at along with the other wisdom literature. But we're going to go through uh, a good bit of Proverbs um, first. So here's what we've been doing. And this is a really important component of what we're trying to do here with the wisdom literature is we've been t- uh, linking the wisdom books Back to the garden narrative, the narrative of Adam and Eve in the garden, eating of the fruit, bringing sin upon humanity, and humanity's intended purpose to find wisdom from the right source, which is God. They chose to find wisdom from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Good and bad being what is beneficial versus what is harmful or unbeneficial. And God put that tree in there as a representation of his law, that they would choose to live in obedience to him out of respect and love for him. But they chose to take wisdom for themselves, and they, they took too much of it. The, their eyes were open to things they weren't meant to understand at that time. They were little children, spiritually. And God wanted them to, to find wisdom in proper dosage from Him one day at a time. Just sim- very similar to how we raise our own children. We don't give them too much information all at once. It would overwhelm them. It would terrify them. We let them learn as they go. That's how we're supposed to relate to God. That's how Adam and Eve were supposed to relate to God. But they took it for themselves because they were tired of waiting and they wanted to know everything. They coveted what the tree of the knowledge of good and bad offered. And what happened was Eve, the Azer Konegdo, as we talked about, is more than just the helper, right? She is what's known as the essential other. It's a very important term to remember. Eve was given to Adam as the essential other to help Adam do what he couldn't do by himself, which was co-rule the creation with God. But evil obviously disrupted that plan and that union. Eve took wisdom from the wrong source, being deceived by the shrewd and cunning serpent, shared the fruit with Adam, and together they plunged humanity into disorder and chaos that we all know very well just looking at the headlines. But the beauty is that God in his grace looked at them, even in their shame, as they're naked, and he covers them with the sacrificed animals. He covers their shame, and he says, I love you enough that I'm going to bring you back into right relationship with me through the obedience of one who will find wisdom from the right source and then offer that wisdom to you and show you how to live, how you were meant to live. So look for that rescuer. I still want to co-rule with you, and so I'm going to bring everything back into order to be able to do that over time. Now, for, for, for God's own reasons that we're not privy to, he doesn't do it immediately. He allows sin to reign in this world to be broken for a long time, still today. But he promises, as he sent Jesus once, he will send him again, as that rescuer that we need. So that's what, that's what these books are telling us, is how the rescuer lived in that wisdom and found wisdom from God, and then how we, in turn, even in the chaos of this world, can live well. It's giving us the skill of living well. And, you know, all these promised, all these people would come along that, that Israel was looking for that Messiah, and so they would look at these people who were powerful or who were living well, and they would say, is this the one, is this the one? And Solomon, the author of Proverbs, is one person who came along, he was doing everything right. And he looked like he had the resume of the guy that was going to do it. 
It was going to set God's people free. But he also fell. And that happened to a lot of people throughout time. But Solomon, when he was living well, imparted to us by God's grace these Proverbs for what it looks like to live well in relationship with God. And that's what we're going to be looking at um, over the next uh, several weeks. So let me pray and we'll get started. Lord, I do thank you that you have shown us that there is an abundant life available to us. Even as we suffer from loss, we suffer from uh, disappointment, failure, uh, being apathetic or complacent in our faith, there is a, a better path to live, a true north, if you will, to point us to the way towards that abundant life. I thank you that these Proverbs show us both where we fail, but also where we can succeed in proper submission and humility to your will. For those who have been living by their own power and their own strength, thinking, thinking that life, they have life in perfect order, I pray for humility. I pray for the fear of the Lord in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the deal. I think I've said this before. Uh, I, be I believe it to be true. Um, that one thing that we all have in common in this room, I would venture to say, is that we all want to change. I would say every single person in this room wants to change something about yourself. We know our flaws, we know our limitations, our struggles, our needs, and we long to either look better, feel better, act better, love better, believe better. Everything that's wrong with us tells us there must be something wrong with the world because we know we're not alone in this. It's important for us to come to church for that very reason. We all need to change. We're all on this journey together. We're looking for that right path. And it's good to know you're not alone in that. And even, even not that you're not alone, but that there's help for you. And we want to create such a deep and real and authentic community that we're all seeking that change together. Life isn't easy. It's complex relationally, unfair much of the time, filled with inconveniences and disruptions, loss, exhaustion, busyness, full of obstacles to overcome on a daily basis, whether, whether it's getting through traffic in Nashville, on time to work or dropping the kids off to school or meeting the tight deadline, considering a new career job or simply being present with the ones that you love. Life is hard to navigate. Can we all agree on that? Okay. Some of us aren't doing so bad this morning. I think some of us come into this room and things seem to be in proper order. We're in pretty decent order. We're experiencing success in our jobs or in parenting or in both. Our kids are doing well. We're making ends meet. We have little to complain about. But many of us feel in this room the opposite. Many of us are faced with the reality that we feel like we're losing. We feel like we're drowning, like we're barely making it. And so the question for us as we gather each week here is what are we going to do about that? What is the way out? Is it, as I'm often tempted to think, more money? Is it moving? Maybe for some of us in this room, it's divorce or the end of a relationship. We think we'll make life better. And here's the truth. The answer to what will make life better and what we're going to do is sadly not on our phones. Um, we live in an information age where everything is at a fingertip, and there's no YouTube video to impart the skill of living well, to fix all of the problems and address all of the needs. We act like, we, we basically live like that answer is, is there in front of us, in our palm. 
because we're on it. We're on it enough to make people think that we think we're fixing our lives by simply staring at a screen all the time. And it's oftentimes a great distraction from where the change really comes from. Um, what I love about Christianity is that the answer to life's problems is much more simple and easy than even an iPhone. It's easier to obtain than we often think or maybe even want it to be, but the Bible doesn't sugarcoat anything about life. It's straightforward with how broken it is. You know, our phone is often giving us the reality that life is not broken, that life is, I'm just going to keep going, um, that life is, is not broken, that everything is in good order as we look at the pictures of other people and their beautiful lives, they're living their best life. Proverbs is offering us a path forward to change, a good path, a rewarding path, a path worth following to get every single situation, addressing every single situation that we can imagine. Proverbs is to us what YouTube is to a builder or to a mechanic. I don't know if you noticed this. I've started building some things around my house, playhouse right now. Um, If you need to know how to fix something, just YouTube it. Like anything you can imagine. I YouTubed, um, what are the kind of shingles we're going to be using on the house? Cedar shakes on a playhouse. How do you install them? There's like 50 videos for it. That's awesome. I can figure it out. The Proverbs are really beautiful because they, they literally address every single issue that you could possibly think of in your life and how to handle it. That's the beauty of Proverbs. That's why it's worth listening to. It's the help we need to change spelled out in this rich, poetic, beautiful, thought-provoking way. So I want to. that's the introduction to what we're about to jump into in verses 1 through 7. Now, verses 1 through 7 are really important for understanding the rest of this book and what we're about to jump into. And it's split into two parts. The first six verses are what's called the preamble of Proverbs. And verse 7 is what we call the threshold of the book. Okay? So that's your two points. We're going to look at the preamble and the threshold. First, the preamble of the book, verses 1 through 6. What is a preamble? Well, many of us know this. It's the, the definition is the introduction of a statement or deed. In this case, a scroll stating the purpose and aim and justification of the document. Many of us as kids had to, remember, had to memorize the preamble to the Constitution. Did anyone have to do this? Yes? Okay. I'll read it for you. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general wel- welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That is serving to tell us the intended purpose and guiding principles in writing the Constitution. Our founding fathers wanted to create a better country, right? Than the one they were coming from. They wanted to change. Where people could live with religious freedom, abundant protection from foreign enemies, and create community for themselves and their children that would last forever. It was this bold and beautiful and risky and really compelling vision for something entirely new. That's what's going on in Proverbs. Solomon is trying to give us this new and compelling and I would say even risky vision for what it is to live as the people of God in a better kingdom. And the way we experience that kingdom, as we've talked about a lot up here, is we're meant to experience a taste of that kingdom and life in that kingdom through the church. Now, the church is pretty messy, pretty messed up. The United States, pretty messy, pretty messed up. Ideal vision, but it's hard to make it perfect, right? You can't. Solomon is king. 
and he's the last one Israel would have, so he's imparting, he's leaving this valuable wisdom. He's the son of David, appointed by God to co-rule with him over God's people, right? And as he's doing that, everything's going well. Israel is at the height of its power and prosperity. Things will never get better for Israel than it is right here when Solomon is writing. He's living in the fear of the Lord. He's being obedient. He loves the will of God. His whole entire life is shaped by it. Things are going very well. The blessings of Eden are going out to the people. Remember, that's, that's, that's what's at stake. Those who live by this wisdom, they get the blessings of Eden. It's tying us back to the garden. Things are the way they're supposed to be. God looks at it and says, this is good. That's what we're stepping into with Proverbs. Life ordered well. The skill of living well. Wisdom from God gave Solomon a taste of that Eden life, of home, of walking with God in the cool of the day. Many of us long for that relief. Heeding the wisdom of God's word gives us tastes of walking with God in the cool of the day. It gives us that taste of home. And many of us are just tired. We're tired of the disappointments. We're tired of the loss. We're tired of the brokenness and the struggle. And, we just long, and we're looking for home in all the wrong places. right? We're looking for all these tangible things. If I can just acquire enough stuff, if I can just have a great day watching college football and enjoying my old fashion, I'll, I'll feel at home. If I can just pile up enough of those experiences, then life will go pretty well. It's a very fleeting way to live, obviously. It's a very disappointing way to live. There's a better way to live. What is a proverb? In this case, they are short sayings and riddles that are easy to memorize and applicable to every single situation you can imagine. They are for followers of God to learn practical help for daily life. Here's what that means. It means that God cares about how we live and the choices we make every day. He's giving it, we're going to go through some of these, but he's giving us practical knowledge for every situation in daily life. From the way, the way we speak, the way we handle our bodies, the, what we do with our money, what we do with our time, how we treat each other, how we deal with disappointment, vengeance, it, just anything under the sun. God thought of it all, and he cares enough to say, I care about, he doesn't just care about us making a decision to say, Jesus is my Savior. He cares about that, but that's not enough. He also cares about what we do in, in, in relationship to that. How we live. He didn't just save us from something. He saved us to do something. Right? Many of us are just fine with the from something. And life isn't working real well. But there's a better way to live. Here, here's what these are not. Okay, Proverbs are not fortune cookies. I'm sorry to disappoint. It, so, In other words... They're not like these superstitious sayings that if you do these, everything in life is going to go well. And you're just going to get all the money and all the things that you want. That's not how the Proverbs work. Maybe that goes without saying. They're actually given for hurting broken people. Counsel for the perplexed, strength for the defeated, warnings for the proud, and mercy for the broken. You can't receive the Proverbs for what they're worth unless you understand yourself as that. If you got it all together and you're doing fine, yay for you. You don't need this. Right? Or does pride come before the fall? God anticipates every way we could react to this. 
even our own pride when we think things are good, there is danger ahead, and he addresses that. So, as one commentator wrote, this is, this is ancient wisdom from long human experience endorsed by God, a gospel book, which means it's grace for sinners, hope for failures, and wisdom for idiots. And I would say that it's all inspired by the same spirit that guided Jesus as his true north towards rescuing us from the beast that is sin, that has kept us captive from living the life of freed men we were meant to live with our creator. The problems are calm to our chaos, the direction to the darkness, their hope in the midst of our hell. Lighting the way forward. And we're all on a path. God cares about that journey that each of us is on. He cares about the decisions we make every day, the commitments we make every day. This is his personal, wise counsel through his servant. Just a short sampling of how God cares about the use of your words, your time, your money, right? Proverbs 12, 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. Proverbs 15, 4. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. You know that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Just the biggest load of crap. Words hurt far worse. They leave a much more indelible mark on us. Sometimes I'd rather be punched. At least it'll heal. Words can last forever. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Encouragement matters, guys. What you say to other people, it matters. What comes out of your mouth matters. Proverbs 18.4, a person's words can be life-giving water. The Bible is saying this. This is not Jay's wisdom. This is timeless wisdom. A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Are you offering words of refreshment? The Eden blessings to your community, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. God cares about our hearts. He cares about what we feel and what we expose ourselves to. Some things harden our hearts. Some things soften our hearts. Proverbs 69, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. He wants you to be responsible. Make plans. That's great. Don't just, God is sovereign, whatever. No, he's made us responsible beings. Plan your retirement. That's fine. Plan to save money, plan to buy a home, plan to move, plan to join, like do all this stuff. Decide, it's important where your kids go to school. But in all of that, trust God. That he is the one directing your steps. And then, of course, the famous one we all know, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There's a lot of college football players that are learning that truth today. <laughs> and coaches. Don't overlook your opponent. Live in humility. Do the work that's necessary. Don't think you've got it all figured out. Be teachable. I think that's the most admirable quality. I think I love the quality of being teachable more than any other quality there is. There's a lot to choose from. I love, I'm drawn to people that are teachable. Proverbs 3, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. I mean, think about this. Turn away from evil. Be healing to your flesh. Refreshment to your bones. That means God cares about the material, not just the spiritual. He cares about how walking with him, how it makes you feel, how it literally restores you physically, 
as much as it does spiritually. That's really important. That, that means this is worth paying attention to. And then he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be, be bursting with wine. That doesn't mean you're going to become a millionaire. It just means God's going to give you everything you need. So whatever you do have, if you're giving it, he's going to provide for you. You're trusting in him. And then look with me at verses 2 through 6. This is really important. It says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. So that word there is really important. It means to know, as we talked about, it's, just not, it's not just cognitive knowledge. It is to experience it. That is key. And these things go together. To know to experience wisdom and instruction. That word for instruction is this word musar in Hebrew. And it means way more than just rules to follow or a blueprint to kind of plan your way. It actually means to reprove, to chastise, to beat with a rod. That means this is no joke. That means to know wisdom, the skill of living well, as God intended you to live well, to know that you're going to have to experience it through discipline. This is the Christian way. Okay? God is going to discipline those he's, he, he loves, as Hebrews tells us. He's going, he, he recognizes, your life's out of control without me. I'm going to have to hem you in and edge you out and, and sculpt you and mold you, and it's not always going to feel good. Most of the time it's not. But I, I want you to know I love you enough. So it's kind of like when I tell my girls to go to the, their room. It's not enough if I just explained what that experience would be like. No, you don't have to really go. But if you did go, you'd feel really alone. And then you'd realize what you did wrong and you'd come back. That would be useless, right? They need to experience it. And for many of us, we just read the, the, the word of God as if it's just explaining how things might be. But in order for us to really experience wisdom and right living, the skill of living well, we're going to have to be disciplined by it. So when my kids do wrong, they need to go and it, like out of love. I hate doing it because I know it's painful and it's hard for them. And they're realizing the world doesn't work like they want it to and life seems unfair. But it's so good for them. That instruction is good. And why, we, I guess we just kind of get to a point where we're like, we're adults, we don't need that anymore. We got this thing figured out. And God's like, no. Think if, if the difference between me and my five-year-old intellectually, spiritually, experientially is pretty vast. Now, the difference between us and the God who created the entire universe by speaking it into existence, it's a little more vast, right? So to get us to understand things from his, his perspective, he's going to have to get a little extreme especially as he's working against the obstacle that is sin and brokenness of the world. So that means take hope. If God is disciplining you, if he's taking things away, if he's purging you, it's for your good. He's teaching you wisdom. He's teaching you to experience what it is to live well. Wisdom is not celebrating the hurt. You grieve it, you sit in it, but you learn from it and you move on with hope. Think of Proverbs as a simulator as sorts. I read this this week. Before a pilot takes off on a plane for the first time, he spends hours in a simulator learning how everything works in order to fly the plane safely, keep everyone on board, including himself, 
Proverbs is Solomon simulating many of life's challenges and circumstances and telling us how and when to go left and to go right. And you don't like, who do you, what pilot do you trust? The one who's had the most hours, right? Wim shows up, is like, I got this. You're going to freak out a little bit. Like, we're going down. He doesn't have the experience. The person who lives well is the person who's experienced how everything else can go wrong. <laughs> and they know how to navigate it. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Even in situations where evil is perpetuated against us, we want to repay the evil with evil. God is saying, I will avenge you. He even talks about parenting. Start children off on the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. Teach them at an early age the things that you love so that they'll value what you value, hate what you hate. Proverbs 18, a gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Those who are generous experience the pleasure of God because God is generous. So don't hold on to your stuff. It's God's. And we just read like he's the king of it all. What Solomon's saying is you can't gain wisdom and instruction and insight unless you're willing to experience life and all its hardships with hope. As we experience life and we get insight into what it's, what's really going on, we get a, a shot behind the curtain here of how life really works. That's why we need a Christian worldview. Verse 3, uh, it says, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. So it gives us instruction on how to deal with and relate to others in a right and just and fair way, just as God does. In other words, it will give you the ability to spread that Eden blessing. Okay? Because it was full of righteousness and justice and equity between man and woman, between God. And here, here's what's important to you. What we learned with Solomon is the one who is going to come and live in the perfect wisdom of God and submit to his will perfectly is going to have to do it every single day. We talked about this a little bit last week. Solomon doesn't do it. He doesn't do it every single day. He, doesn't, he takes days off. And to be a blessing to the nations, you can't take a day off. That's not to be a burden to us. It's actually a pretty awesome invitation because it's going to require you, Christian, it's the governor for your life. It's going to require you to slow life down to incremental pieces, 24 hours at a time. Maybe for some of us, one minute, one hour at a time. This is why I love the, rec the recovery mentality. I mean, we're all broken sinners, so we're all, in a sense, living in recovery. And in order to live in a recovery, you learn you have to begin to face every day for what it is. It's one day. It's the next day you've been given. So to live in the wisdom of the Lord, you're going to have to slow life down. And many of us are so busy and life is so crazy that we don't know how we lived yesterday or the day before that. We just know we got through it. Some of us are just happy to survive it, especially if you're a parent of three kids. I'm still alive. They're still alive. We're good. But the wisdom of the Lord is having to slow down. I'm starting to I'm memorizing a scripture with um, Eli, who's not here this morning, but we're, I'm doing discipleship with him, and we're memorizing Proverbs. And I'm, I'm realizing to memorize that, I have to look at it every single day. I have to read it every day. I have to write it down, or I lose it. That's why we need the Word of God. Verse 7, this will give the simple, the gullible, and the naive prudence. That's that same word, arum, that was used to describe the snake in the garden. It means shrewdness or cunning. 
Living by the instruction in this book will wake you up to what is really going on in the world, what is true and untrue, what is right and wrong, and wait for it for what is good and bad. You will see evil for what it is and be able to anticipate danger ahead. You will also give, be given discretion to the youth. It will literally help the undeveloped brain of a youth. You know, the frontal lobe doesn't fully develop to like age 18 or something, which means that when kids are growing up, they don't really understand the consequences of what they do and how their actions affect other people. What Proverbs is saying is, this is the medication for that, for that deficiency. It will help you understand how what you do affects how other people live. It will make you self-aware that there's a world going on around you that you need to be aware of. In verse 5, it says, wise people will need to listen to and study this. It's worth it. You gain understanding about the truth within these Proverbs, what's at stake. Become self-aware. And then the threshold of the book, our last point. This is, this is the huge deal. Verse 7 is everything to the book of Proverbs. And you're probably familiar with it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's, here's what that means. You can gain wisdom and intelligence and guidance from this book, just in a general sense. You can become a really good person. But you can also gain all the wisdom and instruction from this book and use it for a lot of really bad reasons and a lot of really selfish reasons. So how are we going to keep our heart in check as we see, because here's the thing, if you do these things, life will get better. I mean, there's just an order, a moral order to the world. Life will feel better, will probably feel more satisfying, but it won't be ultimate. And it'll still be fleeting. And in order to do it in the way that it's meant to be done, in a God-glorifying way, in the most satisfying and abundant way, you must live, in the, you must do it out of the fear of the Lord. not out of the pride of self. And that is the battle and the tension you face as a Christian every single day. So even when you're, do, you, you know, you're out doing discipleship and you're sharing the gospel and you're reading your Bible and you're praying and you're going to church and you're doing all these things and checking off your list, the temptation still is to think, man, I'm doing great. I'm awesome. I'm such a good Christian. And that's not attractive to anybody. But the one who does it and lives in the fear of the Lord, that is that awe, that reverential awe and respect says the fools have no respect for God. They think they know better. His discipline seems unfair and unjustified. It seems evil. The fool plays the, plays the victim, and so do we. We play the victim. Everything's happening to us. It's not fair. The fool says this is just a man-made morality to show us how to be good people, when this is actually divine instruction for those who have the humility to recognize that they're not good people at all. And that's where it's got to start. That's why it's the threshold of the book. It's the gateway into something. Another definition for the threshold defined as the intensity that must be exceeded for a certain reaction to occur. The intensity that must be exceeded for a certain reaction to occur. It's a catalyst of sorts to propel you into a different place, a change, if you will. You must fear the Lord. It's the beginning of all of it. It's our true north. It's our baseline. Learning to live in the fear of the Lord, this is, this is important. To learn to live in the fear of the Lord is what 2 plus 2 equals 4 is to calculus. It's what the ABCs are to reading Shakespeare. It's what scales are to playing Beethoven. But sadly, I think many of us 
have been living our lives thinking we're learning to play it well, but have really been banging on the keys all of our life or drawing scribble-scrabble thinking that it's Monet. My girls, they, they start out drawing scribble-scrabble, and then they learn to color it within the lines, and we celebrate that, and it's awesome, and they think it's amazing. I think a lot of us don't recognize how vital this is to living life in good order and well in a satisfying way. And so we've been living the life our own way, and yet to God, it's just scribble-scrabble. It's like you're not even coloring in the lines. We're like, no, look, it's color. We're great. We're just banging on the keys, thinking we're playing something beautiful. And we don't have to do that. This will teach us to play in good order, to play a melody to God that is pleasing, not only to him, but to others. It's, 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 it's uh, directing the orchestra, right? Making all the parts of your life, your money, your possessions, your things, your time, your energy, your health, work in good order. So I'll close with this. Um, this past week, we were uh, having dinner, Monday night dinner, family dinner, which I love. And the girls, they all, we like to listen to music, and so they listened to this song called My Lighthouse, and uh, they were doing the dance motions that they learned at Alyssa's uh, family's church back in Maine this summer um, that her sister taught them. And I just kind of jokingly said, like, would you like to, y'all should teach the kids at school this. And they're like, yes, let's do that. And I was like, for real? Okay. Text Pastor Sullivan and ask if we can do it in chapel. And so I text Pastor Sullivan, and he's like, "They want to do it tomorrow." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, sure." And I was like, "Girls, are you all up for this?" They stay up all night practicing. All morning they're practicing. They go to school. They show the kids how to do this dancing, and I'm just reveling in it. It's beautiful and wonderful. Um, that has nothing to do with the story that I'm about to tell you. But I just wanted. Well, it actually does a little bit, but not. That's not what I wanted to tell you. I just wanted to brag on my kids. Um, and we have a video of it if you want to watch. Um, the real story is that in order to do that, we all decided now it's like, I got to go see that too. So we're like, let's drive to school as a family. We never do this. Rarely happens. And so I decided to go, Natalie and I actually go two different ways to school. And I decided to go her way this morning. Um, I'm pretty stubborn about the way that I believe is faster to get to school. And so I'm really stubborn about that. And she swears that her way is much faster and that I should go. She's been telling me this for months. She's like, just go my way. It's way faster. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, so I've been curious about trying her way just to prove to her that it's clearly not faster. And it's wasting a lot of time. So we start out on her way. And of course, we get to a red light uh, right outside of our neighborhood. And we wait there for five minutes. And deep down inside, I'm thinking, Told you so. This way is way slower than my way. Um, there's traffic lights we have to wait at in your way. So we wait there for five minutes, get through the light, and we're at school in 15 minutes. My way, 30 to 35 minutes. <laughs> so even with five-minute traffic light, we got to school in 15 minutes. And I thought it was the greatest discovery I've made in a long time, especially for those who are inundated with Nashville traffic all the time. Every minute counts. And so I'm being humbled, and I'm thinking, wow, she was right this whole time. Um, and the point is, where I started out wanting to try her way out of vain pride and conceit, I quickly realized it was a much better way to go. But in order to get there, I had to surrender to my stubbornness, admit I was wrong, experience her way in all its glory, celebrate it, and pay attention to the route so I could follow it moving forward. 
So as we go into Proverbs, we're going to be presented with two paths personified by two women. It's meant to be back to that garden image, Lady Wisdom versus Lady Folly. It's a personification of Eve, actually as essential Eve, the, the one Adam needed to co-rule, versus evil Eve, who was corrupted by coveting the wrong tree, believing the lies of the evil serpent. That's what's at stake here. Two paths, just like I had this week, presented with two paths. The moment we wake up each day, there's a much more at stake than just getting to school on time. Lady wisdom versus lady folly in the most efficient and satisfying way will require you to deal with your own stubbornness and pride and live in the fear of the Lord that his way is a better way all the time. Lady wisdom versus lady folly is a life or death choice we are presented with every day. This path, this path of lady wisdom is presented to us through the person and the work of Jesus, God's Son, who opened the gate, who made the threshold for us to enter into a new way of living, a much more satisfying and life-giving way. He's our true north, pointing the way to the most abundant life of submission and fear of the Lord. He's our starting point. He lived in the fear of the Lord every second of every day. That's what qualified him to be the rescuer that we all need. He's the groom that carries us over the threshold into a new relationship the way of life, unlike any we could have from the world, and it's a way that only steals life from us. He gives life, and he gives it abundantly. That's what's at stake this morning, a choice. So ask yourself, what choice are you going to make? Which path, yours or his? Let's pray.